open and Franklin Graham comes in and he said, Hey, Ian, I need you to introduce me. Or, or Troy, I need you to introduce me. I need you to get up there. I need you to go in front of everybody and tell them who I am. We're going to open this up and I want you to be the first one to speak because you did all the work. So now you're up here and you're introducing Franklin Graham and you speak. Holy Spirit just starts moving. His presence is just overwhelming and you knew this is it. This is what God called me to. It's amazing. And I want you to think this church just starts. What would your place be in this church? You just introduced Franklin Graham as the pastor of this church and it's going to be this big, huge thing God's going to do. You were called to promote it up, to do all the legwork for it. What now? In your mind, what would you do? Maybe you're going to work with youth. Maybe you think you're going to be a part of the prayer team. Maybe you're going to be outreach. Maybe what is in your head when you think about, man, I can do whatever. This is what I think. I want you, and I don't need you to tell me, but I want you to think about that. Because always our heads are playing, you know. Our minds are always playing. I want you to think about what God would have you do in this church. So the church goes on, and you actually don't have a job in the church. Instead, you've, met, you've ruffled so many feathers whenever you're out here trying to promote this church up. People are so mad, because we live in an atheist nation, for the most part nowadays, and they hate that you've been promoting God. You're deemed a hateful person. You're deemed that you've been having hate talk. You're doing a hate crime, and therefore, instead, you lay in jail. Instead of having a place in this church. While you're in jail, Franklin Graham won't even come see you. Instead, he sends his outreach team to see you because he's too busy. Now, where's your mind at? Where's your heart at in all this? I just want you to think about that. How could I do all this and it end up like this? What you think about that? I uh, always love to worship every Sunday because if you ever listen to the songs that God gives Ryan, they always line up with a message every week. I always, always listen to them in my head, and then when I know what Pastor Chad's going to preach, same thing happens with me on Monday night. Whatever songs God gives Bailey the Wonderful to play, they line up with the message I'm going to bring. And then Stacy gets up and gives us perfect word, and Mike a word that follows right behind it. And just all these great things. Dave had a word, and all of them line up exactly with what God wants to speak to us today. So I'm going to pray that I would just allow him to speak. i got a lot of stuff here. And uh, I can ramble on, and I can talk a lot, but I want God to speak. So let's, uh, let's pray to the Lord before we get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you would bring us here to speak to our hearts, Lord. Father God, I pray that I would just get out of your way, Lord that you would tame my tongue, that you would just control it, that you would speak through me, Father God, that the words that come out of my mouth would be from you, not from me, Lord. I pray the message that we would receive today would be your message and it would have no part of who I am. I pray, Father God, that not one of us would walk out of here the same as we came in and that we would receive exactly what you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start in Luke 1, and I'm going to give you a few seconds to get there. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 1 for a little bit. 
The reason why uh, I thought it was weird when God gave me the word during worship is a word I never even thought about. It's somebody I never even thought about talking about. But today we're going to talk about John the Baptist. And, uh, there's a lot of things when you start reading about John the Baptist that I think we overlook. Um, a lot of instrumental things. Uh, one of the neat things is, is uh, I start researching more about John the Baptist. I didn't know this man's like covered in history big time. Like Josephus wrote about him, just all kinds of historians wrote about him. Uh, he was considered an enemy of Herod because he had more followers than Herod the Great had. He had more followers than anybody of his time had until Jesus came. We usually don't realize that because we think I'm just a man being in the wilderness. The scripture will kind of back that up also, but, but historians say he had the greatest following of his time. Little old weird old John the Baptist. Had so many followers. So let's go to the Lord in this and uh, see what he has for us. In the days when Herod was king of Judea, there was a certain priest whose name was uh, Zechariah. On the day of the daily service, the division of Abia, and his wife was also a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have a priest and a descendant of Aaron. The first half of the the first part of this scripture, I'm going to be reading out of uh, the uh, Amplified, and then I'll go back into the NIV as Chad usually does. But uh, the Amplified breaks this down really well. That's why I'm using it for the first part here. It says, and they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children. For Elizabeth was barren, and both were far advanced in years. Now while on duty serving as priest before God in the order of his divisions, as was the custom of the priesthood, it fell on him to enter uh, by lot to enter the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Mike talked about this incense. This is kind of a, in the temple, the, the incense would have been representation of the Holy Spirit. It was a scent up to the Lord. Uh, and all the throng of the people were praying outside in the court at the hour of incense burning. I love this because I don't know about you guys, but when I read this stuff, I try to vision it. And I'm just imagining you're walking into somewhere and everybody's praying all around and you're walking in to the presence of God while everybody's praying. It really has not a lot to do with my message. I just love that vision. I can't wait until we get our prayer room up and going more here. Uh, and there appeared to him the angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear took possession of him. I always think it's funny that more often than not, when you see an angel, somebody sees an angel in the Bible, there's fear overcomes them. I can't imagine what that looks like. Uh, sometimes I wish I could be in that presence where you're sitting here and this angel just pops up. Then again, I also don't want fear to possess me, so I don't know. We'll see. If I ever see it, though, it'd be a cool thing. It'd be at least a good story. Uh, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Because you, your petition has been heard. The petition was that he wanted a son. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you must call his name John, which means God is favorable. God is favorable, or God is gracious. And you shall have joy and exalt 
in delight. And many will rejoice over his birth. I think that's pretty impressive there. Many will rejoice at the birth of John. There probably was a few people rejoiced when I was born. Maybe not, I don't know. I was kind of uh, unplanned, so maybe not, I don't know. But John had many rejoice over him. My mom may have rejoiced, I don't know. She might have been like, oh, another one. Uh, For he will be great and distinguished in the sight of the Lord. He must drink no wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, even in and from his mother's womb. I never caught that until then. He will be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. We know that the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and many were filled with the Holy Spirit. Before this moment, all we really know is the Holy Spirit come upon people. But John, as far as I know, and I haven't dug into this much, would have been the first person filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. To me, that's pretty powerful. In his mother's womb. I mean, I like to think I'm spirit-filled, but not in my mother's womb. It took me many years to understand, to get it. But from his mother's womb. And he will turn back and cause the return of many people, many of the sons of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he will himself go before him who is Christ in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Guys walking in the spirit and the power of Elijah, who was just taken up, who was considered to be great amongst men. He's walking in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a pretty cool dude. Uh, to turn back the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient and incredulous and the unpersuadable to the wisdom of the upright, which is the knowledge and the holy love of the will of God. I'm going to read that again. It's the knowledge and the holy love of the will of God. Not just of God, but of the will of God. He's going to turn them back to the love and the knowledge of the will of God. I don't know that I truly love the will of God. I want to acknowledge it and I want to be a part of it, but sometimes I'm stubborn and I probably don't love it the way I should love it. In order to make ready for the Lord a people who are perfectly prepared. That's a big goal in life. That is a big goal. He's to walk in the spirit of Elijah, and he's supposed to get people to turn towards God. They're supposed to get fathers to love their children again. He's supposed to get people to actually want to not only acknowledge the will of God, but to love it and be a part of it. So they would be perfectly prepared. That's a lot. So there's a whole lot that goes on, and then if you go down to verse 57, and it, what you're going to see is there's not a lot of scriptures in the Bible about John the Baptist. A couple of them repeat. But what we get about John the Baptist is pretty powerful. It's really powerful stuff. Uh, verse 57 says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going 
to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. He is to be called God is favorable. That's what she's saying. He is to be called John. I don't know what Zechariah means, but it didn't mean God is favorable. Her son was going to have that name that God told her he would have. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father, to his father, to find out what he would like to name his child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, he began to speak, praising God, and the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this word, heard this, wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is upon him. I cannot imagine all this happening and what Zechariah and Elizabeth would have thought. But I also couldn't imagine being that kid. Could not imagine everybody in the whole area thinking, what is up with this kid? What is going on here? That is a huge, huge responsibility put on your shoulders from, from birth. Filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. It's a huge responsibility. In verse 76, at the, about halfway through uh, Zechariah's song of praise here, we see, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, but which, by which the raising the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he prepared, was prepared to publicly speak to Israel. He was filled with spirit and went to the wilderness. If we know anything about the wilderness, it's where God takes people to speak to them, to commune with them. Jesus withdrew often to the wilderness to pray and to get in the presence of God. John's in the wilderness preparing for his great ministry. He's growing in spirit. And what we see in that song is exactly what we see in Isaiah. I probably need to turn that off. Is what we probably what we see in Isaiah. Um, when he said there would be one to come beforehand in the spirit of Elijah. Now I want you to put your mind like more thinking here and imagination of now you're John the Baptist. Well, he wasn't a Baptist yet because he hadn't baptized anybody yet. But you are John. You're growing up as a little kid. And if you remember as a little kid, your imagination was overactive. Like... I had like three or four things I was going to be growing up. I was either going to be a full-time uh, soldier. I was going to be uh, an NBA basketball star at five foot six. Um, I know, but it was going to happen because I was a dreamer. Or as I got older, I thought I was going to be a high school teacher. I came closer to that than any of them. 
And probably when I was a little kid, I probably thought I was going to be a ninja or G.I. Joe or somebody like that. I had a lot of imagination. Because as kids, we have a lot of thoughts. But he would have been told the whole time that he was going to make the way for the Messiah. He would be told the whole time that there'd be a lot of this stuff going on. He, I don't think Zechariah told him everything, because later on we see some things that tell us he may not have. But he definitely knew he was called by God to speak to the people about the salvation of the Lord. And how that looks in your head, I don't know when you're a little kid. I just want you to remember that. As a little kid, imagine what he thought. And even as you grow up, because whenever you get to be about, for young people, don't feel bad when I say this, but when you're about the age of about 16 to 25, you can do anything. The world's yours. Nobody can stop you. You have these dreams and nobody's going to ever stop them. And I like that age group for that reason. But I want you to remember how you were growing up in your mind. And then think about the responsibility on his shoulders and what probably went through his mind. Uh, Luke 3 says, uh, at the beginning of Luke 3, it says, in the 15th year, there's a whole lot of things, but I like that they put this because it actually lays out historical evidence of, of things, of what John's doing, which lined up with what Josephus wrote about him in this time period, uh, of what he did in these time periods. In the 15th year, 15 year reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of, the, of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachontius, and the other one, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God came to him. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Often we see in movies or depictions of who John the Baptist is, just this weirdo sitting out in the, in the wilderness. They always make him seem a little bit crazy, and they make him seem, you know, he's always got like the camel skin on, his hair's weird, and... and uh, he probably did have an odd look about him because he did spend a lot of time in the wilderness. He was separated from what the world would have thought was right, and he was getting filled up by what God said was right. So he's more like God than the world. But he didn't stay in the wilderness. He said he went through all the country area surrounding the Jordan. So he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, he actually moved around. He moved quite a bit. He moved around all over the place. And it said, a voice of one called, which was, this is out of Isaiah, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of, for the Lord, making straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. 
said he's going around everywhere speaking this stuff, like talking about salvation, making enemies. So John said to the crowds coming out of, uh, to be baptized, you brood of vipers. Sounds like Jesus there, don't it? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I like that his message lines up exactly with what Jesus comes to say. We can often say that, hey, I'm a Christian. I've already got salvation. I can do what I want. I'm able to go around and I, you know, maybe I'm not bearing the fruit I'm called to bear, but I'm still saved. God's made a way for me. He's telling you, you brood of vipers, that's not the way. Just because you're children of Abraham doesn't mean you're okay. Just because you're children of Christ doesn't mean what you're doing is okay. I love that he says this. And uh, you remember last week, Pastor Chad talked about being stuck. I actually meant to open up with that because I thought it was impressive that he talked last week about being stuck and he took the, the blind man and how he was disabled. But when he heard Christ's voice, when he seen Jesus coming or knew Jesus was there, his first thought was is to cry out to him. When Jesus called, he ran to him. Chad talked about how often we let things disable us and we just sit on the sideline. We don't even try to run to Jesus. This week, the message God gave me on this is being distracted. Some of us may not be stuck, but we get distracted. We may be moving around, but sometimes we're moving where we need to go, and we get distracted, and we go around. We start to move. Uh, I like the story Mike tells about Elliot this morning. Elliot busted his head open. He's at the hospital getting staples in his head. He gets distracted about what was going on, and he's going to jump off of the bed. He's a little kid. I would have done the same thing. But he done forgot that his head was already busted open and he's about to do it again. He got distracted. I get distracted often. Like, a group of us love to play disc golf around When I start out playing disc golf, I can start out really good. I can be really focused. When I'm focused, I'm actually a pretty decent player. Problem is, I don't stay focused very long. That's why Jason's lying. Are laughing, I mean, it's, uh, he's laughing because when we play, I can start out good, by halfway through I get, I lose focus and I'm all over the place. I get distracted easy. I want to talk about these distractions though, uh, today, because God, like Mike said at the beginning, whenever he's sharing his, uh, his testimony, whenever, about worship and the songs and, and everything he shared during prayer, and he's talking about Sometimes we get so distracted and God wants to call us back to the things we were called to do. I want to talk about these things. When we started this church, when we, we started looking for a pastor about a little over a year and a half ago, I don't know why this came to me, but we had 85 people sign up as members in this church. They were called to be a part of the church. They got distracted and then they're gone gone. We had an overactive church at that time. We had so many people doing so much. Now we're kind of sitting around, waiting for something to do. Uh, 
I don't know why God brought that to my heart, but I'm assuming it needs said. Uh, so I want to talk about this very thing, and uh, we're going to go to Mark 1. And we're going to look at the, the awesomeness that was John the Baptist. Like, like, when you're a kid and you're thinking up your life, very rarely does, like, does it line up with awesomeness. Like, your dreams usually don't compare to what your life is because usually your, your dreams are far better than what you end up going through. Except for me, I feel like my life's way better than I ever dreamed, actually. But I want you to see John the Baptist here. I can't imagine he ever thought life would play out the way he gets to see it here. And Mark 1 starts out, it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 43, uh, 40 verse 3, which is what I read earlier. And it said... And so John the Baptist is down in verse 4. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all, all of the people of Jerusalem. That's the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem. I don't know how many thousands of people were there, but he's... In that time period, he spoke to all, and they listened, all of the Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem. They all went out to see him. That's a lot of people to go out and see a guy who's supposed to be a weirdo. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Okay, maybe he was a little bit of a weirdo. That's a little weird. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to remember, this man may have looked weird, but he had something that nobody else had. He had the presence of the Holy Spirit in it. He would have been more like, you, even if, you know, there's always these debates on, in the Old Testament when it said that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Some people would say maybe they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't really care. I just know the Holy Spirit was doing it all. But I know for 400 years God was quiet until John the Baptist when John the Baptist started speaking, he would have been the most representation of God these people would have seen. He would have been appealing. When he spoke, just whenever, like when you hear that great message and God's speaking to your heart, that's what they heard. God was speaking to their heart through John the Baptist. He was baptizing thousands. That's a ministry. Baptizing thousands. The first person we know of to baptize. The very first person. Nobody else had the authority to do it. He had the authority to baptize people. He had the authority to baptize people. Now I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Before we go forward, we're about to get into the coolest part. So if you're going to read this on your own, you don't want to hear this, but this is the cool part. This is when the ministry gets awesome. This is when John the Baptist... 
hits his peak. Whatever, like, he could not have imagined this getting this awesome. It said, at that time, this is in verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth in, Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Other, uh, other parts of the Gospels will tell you that John didn't think he was worthy of baptizing him, and Jesus said, you have to baptize him. Jesus asked him to be baptized. How cool is that? The Messiah coming to you and saying, hey, you have to be the one to baptize me. It don't get cooler than that except for the next part. And says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. I can't imagine heaven tearing open. Man, that's just cool. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So heaven just tore open. This bird-looking thing comes flying down. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That's a calling. That's a pinnacle to your ministry. If I ever baptize somebody and heaven tears open, the Holy Spirit comes descending like a dove and God says that, I think I'd give up my ministry. I think I'd be done. I'd be like, it don't get better than this. This is it. And he got to be a part of that. He's the only person ever to get to baptize Jesus Christ. The only person ever. That's a ministry. Whew, I cannot imagine the high he was on. Like already filled with the Holy Spirit, I imagine he's just floating. You know, we talk about being drunk in the Spirit, I imagine he couldn't quit laughing. I imagine, I imagine he was overwhelmed with joy. I don't know. I wasn't him, but I can only imagine what that day meant for him. The only one that would have felt better would have been Jesus Christ, I think. It was a ministry. Uh, so if we look back on his life real quick, we know it's this supernatural birth filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled. Uh, if you look at actually the account of whenever uh, Mary goes and sees Elizabeth and Jesus comes into the room in the womb and they talk about John the Baptist leaps in her stomach, in her womb, you'll actually see that he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that Elizabeth becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how filled with the Holy Spirit this guy was. In the womb. Blows my mind. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't even know how Zechariah got filled with the Holy Spirit and starts preaching everywhere. I don't know how it happened. But it happened. And I believe it's because they truly believed in the Messiah and they already had accepted the Messiah as their Savior. I believe that's how that happened. Uh, but I haven't got into it, so don't hold me on that. Um, as I said, historians talk about this great following that John had. Thousands. Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to go with thousands, but there could have been millions. I don't know. I don't. Pastor Chad's smart enough to know probably the populations of each little area. I do not. He could probably tell us next week if we ask him how many people are in that area. He may even know the exact following of John the Baptist. I don't know. He's a lot smarter than I am. But he had a huge following. 
It was bigger than any of the politicians of the time. He had a huge following, but he had, when you have a huge following, any church in America that has great results, there's also great attacks. He had just as many haters as he did followers. He had just as many people that wanted to see him fail as he did people wanting to see him succeed. And Herod being the biggest one of them all. Herod stole his wife, his, uh, his brother's wife. John was very vocal about how wrong it was. If we go back to Luke 3 and verse 19, it says, uh, But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to, him, to them all. He locked John up in prison. Uh, he locks him up in prison. Like Herod was a horrible person, but this is the greatest, the worst thing he did. He's locked John up. Well, second worst, I guess, technically. He locked John up in prison. We go from filled with the Holy Spirit, mama's getting filled with the Holy Spirit because you're in her womb. We keep moving on, the kid in the wilderness in God's presence. He gets so filled with God's Word, he's got to go out and preach it. Huge amounts of followers come from everywhere to see him. They love him. They want to be baptized from by him. He's got a presence of God that nobody had ever seen. He baptizes Jesus. Heaven opens up. Dove descends. God speaks. We go from the highest of highs. Nobody's ever had a ministry like it. And now he's in prison. Just like that. Now he's in prison. Now Jesus is out doing great things. John's in prison. Jesus is out doing his ministry. John's in prison. Do we remember what John was called to do? Do we remember what he was called to do? It wasn't be in prison. Huh? Make way the path of the Lord. Spread the gospel. The good news. Now he's in prison. Probably not what he thought. Kind of like us, whenever we get into churches and we think like, this is going to be good. And things don't go the way we think. We're like, whoa. I didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't think this was going to happen. Wait a minute, God, you called me to do this, but now my life's over here and it looks horrible. John was in a predicament. He was called to spread the gospel. He just brought Jesus Christ up to everybody, introduced him to the world, baptized him, God spoke over him, and now he's in prison. That will rock your faith. That will rock you to your core. Matthew 11. I'm just going through all the story of uh, John the Baptist. I'm going to try to make it quick because I don't know how late it is, but I'm sure it's long. Yeah, we're going to try to speed this up. Uh, so that after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. 
When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now I want you to see that again in verse 2 at the beginning. It said, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he's hearing about everything Jesus is doing. He wasn't oblivious. It wasn't like he didn't know what was going on. Yet he still sends them and he says, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, he's saying, Hey, this don't look like I thought it looked. Is this really what you called me to? It doesn't look right. Are you sure you're the one? He's heard about everything. I mean, people have been healed. People getting sight. I think at this point he's already fed 7,000 people with some fish and loaves. He's already done a lot of miracles and they heard about it. And he's like, are you sure? This can't be right. I shouldn't be here. can't be right. I'm supposed to be right beside you preaching the gospel. I'm supposed to be doing better things than what you have me doing. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Here it is. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I can't imagine. That had to penetrate his heart. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying to him, just because I'm not who you want me to be or what, doing what you're calling me to be, you're blessed if you don't stumble over that. God's out doing a good work, and sometimes we get distracted by the, the things going on in life, and we stumble. God, you're not what I thought you were going to do. Jesus. Why does this not look the way I thought it would look? Jesus is doing great things all around us, but we get distracted by the things of this world. He said, blessed are you who do not stumble by these distractions. Blessed are you who believe in me, even when things go wrong in your life, but you see me doing great works around the world. Sometimes we forget to stop and see what God's doing. Instead, we just get distracted. Remember, John was called to preach the good news. That's what he's called to do. Nowhere does it say that it was just going to be in the wilderness. He was called to preach good news, but instead, he was distracted by being in prison instead of preaching the good news in prison. Sometimes we're distracted by the things around us and we forget to do what we were called to do to begin with. What if you're in the hospital with cancer? Can't you still praise God? Can't you still spread the gospel? Don't our actions speak louder than our words? His did not. Now mind you, still a far better person than I am. So I don't want you to think I'm saying John the Baptist was bad. John the Baptist just got a little distracted, as we often do. We get distracted by the things going on around us. We got distracted. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. It's the other, like, 
if he could have heard this, he would have never, I don't think he would have ever doubted again. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Obviously, he wasn't dressed in fine clothes. He looked horrible. No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one to whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I want you to remember that. Sometimes we get distracted by fine-looking stuff. Sometimes we get distracted. We want to follow the things that look good. We want to follow... Like what he's saying. Nobody went out there to follow something that looked good. They went out there to hear the message God was speaking. We need to be hearing the message God is speaking. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That is from Jesus Christ's mouth. Those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. No one born of a woman was greater than John the Baptist. But anybody who makes it to the kingdom of heaven, anybody who keeps their mind on heaven, even the least of them will be greater than he was here. Anyone. There's that kingdom focus left instead of the earthly focus. Here on earth, nobody's going to be as good as John the Baptist. In heaven, the least of us is better than he was here. Could not imagine walking in the spirit of Elijah. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the markets and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, whatever that word is. You did not mourn. Do we not see that in churches a lot of times? Like, man, I wanted this to happen. It did not happen. I did this and nobody appreciated it. This has been going on and nobody even called. We hear that all the time. We get so self-centered sometimes, the things we do, we expect instant gratification. But are we doing it to please God or are we doing it so we can get an instant gratification? Whenever things don't look the way they should look in our lives, is it an attack on us or is it an attack on God? He said earlier, he said, uh, heaven has been subjected to violence. We are the kingdom of heaven. We're subject to violence. Satan is trying to rip you out of the kingdom of heaven. And he's doing it by distractions, by letting you see things that aren't actually there. Oftentimes we get this image of what heaven should look like or the church should look like or our lives should look like. But it ain't the case. God's the one. It goes back to that, that scripture right away from the beginning. He said, uh, 
where it said that he came to turn back the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient and the incredulous and the unpersuadable to the wisdom of the upright, which is the knowledge and holy love of the will of God. It's not our will, it's his will. What God wants done can be done. Can you imagine Jesus Christ when he's in the in a garden? He thought, I really don't want to do this. I can't imagine. He loved at the moment the thought of dying on a cross, being beaten, and everything that went along with it. But he said, God, it's your will, because I love your will more than my own. I love your will more than my own. I acknowledge your will, and I love it, and I'll do it. But too often we don't want to do that because we're like, don't line up with my will, I'm not doing it. Don't line up with what I want to do. That don't look good. That don't look fun. That looks painful. God, I'm not doing it. But if you got something else, I'll do that. That's what John was hoping for. He was hoping for the something else. And Jesus said, don't stumble. Stay right there. For John came never, neither eating or drinking, and they say he was a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by their deeds. We often want to put different labels on everything. We can't be doing that. i got to really read this one fast. Uh, actually, I'm not even going to read it because... Uh, just going to paraphrase it so it'll be really quick. We know that we know that from this moment, Jesus speaks to him, sends people out to talk to John. He hears it, acknowledges it, and then Herod has this great feast. Promises his daughter that he would do anything for her. She said, "I want John the Baptist's head on a platter." which was provoked by her mother, which is a creepy thing for a daughter to have to say. I can't imagine a little girl saying that. That's creepy. That's just weird. It, uh, hopefully they got a double slap and all that. I don't know. That's just weird. But uh, he dies, beheaded, head served up on a platter. He didn't see that in his vision of what God called him to do. I will say this. Historians, both historians and uh, theologians will quickly tell you because of this act, Herod the Great was taken down quickly. Herod the Great believed everything bad that happened in his life after this was because of the way he treated John the Baptist. He got his. John didn't have to fight back. God fought for him. But his kingdom was not here. His kingdom was in heaven. Uh, worship team, come on up here. It, uh, I'll read this other scripture to you because I think it's important we remember this because we... That's a lot to try to compare yourself to John the Baptist. He was pretty awesome. Best person to ever live, according to Jesus, that was born of a woman. And uh, Colossians 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, 
Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, and all the others. But Christ is all and is in all. Now that scripture keeps going, just telling you how we should live as Christians. But God didn't call us to a perfect world. God didn't even call us to to our own will. He didn't call us to the things that we've imagined in our mind that things should look. He called us to be obedient. He called us to use our gifts. He called us to do the things we did from the beginning and to continue to do them. If I was put in prison today, I would probably act like John for a little bit, but I would hope I wouldn't. God's called us to minister no matter what. God's called us to live for Him no matter what. But oftentimes we get distracted very easily. So I'm going to pray here in a minute, and I'm going to ask God to just help us not be distracted by the things going on around us. It, uh, I see, I'd hate, I would hate for that time to come when we're distracted. Jesus spoke greatly about this. John the Baptist was an example of it for a short time. Uh, as you guys go ahead and stand, we're going to pray. Can you take down the lights? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your heart. God, help us not be distracted by the things going on around us. Help us not be distracted by what we think things should look like. Father God, help us focus on what you're doing, Lord. Let us not stumble because of what you're not doing in our lives. Let us be more like you. Let us be able to love you, to share you, Lord, no matter what is going on in our lives. Changes. Speak to our hearts, right? If you need prayer, we'll have it open up here. I know we're kind of late, so if you need to leave, you're dismissed. Uh, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. Thank you, guys.